0: all the feels on this one. Because that's what the science says. Welcome to The Whole View. I'm Stacey Toth of Real Everything. I'm all about loving the skin you're in and being healthy inside and out. Let's talk about what this looks like in real life. Facts do not have opinions.
1: And I'm Dr. Sarah Ballantyne of thepaleomom.com. I believe that scientific literacy is the key to improving public health.
0: Just don't let perfection be the enemy of the good. Science is true, whether or not you believe in it. Self-love is really about self-respect and excitement. Welcome to The Whole View, episode 496. We are visiting a topic that we get so many questions on. Um, all, the, all the questions. All the questions, yes. And shout out to our Patreons, who we... Asked them to help us come up with some topics, and voted on them. This this made the top of the list, um, and we've got some upcoming shows for you that are also going to be top requested. But if I had a nickel for every five G question I've gotten, <laughs> <laughs> um,
1: yeah, I think five G. 5G- was something right? Like the the EMF sort of fear mongering. I don't. I don't have a. I mean, I realize that's a strong word, but I don't have a better word for it than fear mongering on the internet. Has been there for a really long time, but five G kind of amplified that. And then we're not going to get into this in this show, but all of the crazy conspiracy theories about five G and coronavirus just like basically dropped some some accelerant on that fire. So, uh, and again, we're not, we're not, I mean, those, those electromagnetic, uh, radiation, which is what we're going to talk about today. is not a virus. Like we, we can't, this is just, we're not going to, we're not going to get into that because that is a, it's a can of worms with no end. We're going to talk about the basic science behind that scary word that I just used, the, the R word, radiation. Um, and really I hope like lay down a really strong foundation for understanding like what electromagnetic fields are what what electromagnetic radiation is what is the difference between uh, low frequency microwave frequency, radio frequency, 5g and really like provide uh, you listeners with a solid enough foundation that this won't just apply to the fifth generation of, uh, you know, cell phone uh, communication, but 6G, 7G, like whatever the generations are. That Well, no, there will be 6th generation, 7th generation. That's what the G stands for, It's generation. But like whatever comes next, this show will prepare all of you listeners to be able to go, aha, but I understand what that scary, scary word, radiation, means in physics.
0: I'm ready to be educated. I love me a good science smackdown from Dr. Sarah, who, in case you don't know and need a reminder, uh, did her Ph.D. in medical biophysics. So while I'm not a scientist myself, it does seem like it's the perfect combination of understanding physics and how it applies to our health or biology.
1: It is a incredibly handy background for talking about this particular topic, because also my bachelor's degree is in pure physics. So um, so again, welcome to uh, Biophysics 101 on electromagnetic fields with Dr. Sarah Ballantyne. Um, Hopefully this won't feel like a college course. Um, but Stacey, I wanted to ask you as a starting point, because I think this is the root of where all of these sort of myths and conspiracies and just like misunderstandings, I think where they all come out of is, again, this like big, scary word, radiation. And it's kind of similar in episode 423, when we talked about the scientific method, we talked about how the word theory and hypothesis are used interchangeably, colloquially for most people when they're talking. But in science, those two words mean very, very different things. And I think this is the same type of situation. Because if I ask you, like Stacy, what do you think of when I say the word radiation?
0: I think of Chernobyl, Mm -hmm. um, big, big bad things, um, or potentially as a therapeutic um, method for cancer, but that still means death and destruction of cells. Right. And I think that's exactly what most people think of when they
1: hear the word radiation. And those are all radiation, but they're very specifically examples of what's called ionizing radiation. So ionizing radiation is high energy, either electromagnetic radiation, that's also called gamma radiation, so that's high energy photons, or it's particle radiation, so that is um, transmitted by either alpha particles, which are basically just a helium nucleus, or beta particles, which are basically just an electron, and they damage tissues through this process called ionization. So ionization is the process of delivering high enough amounts of energy that instead of what a lower amount of energy would do, which might excite an electron into a higher orbit. So think of, we're we're going, taking a time work back, to high school chemistry, where we all studied the Bohr model of the atom, and we drew our little atoms like a circle in the middle, middle that was full of protons and neutrons, and then these orbital shells around it with electrons in it. So you think of that that model of the atom where the electron can be excited and go into an outer shell. That's non-ionizing radiation uh, when, it, when you deliver that energy to that to that atom, ionizing radiation delivers enough energy to bump that electron off of the atom, which creates an ion, right? It creates the molecule minus an electron or even two or three, and that's what an ion is. And so ionizing radiation by by pushing this electron completely off of the atom, basically through that mechanism damages molecular bonds, then can cause things like oxidative damage. And like, yeah, that's that's a scary thing to happen. That's how uh, this these types of radiation can damage DNA, can kill cells. But it's really important to understand that this is one type of radiation. It's ionizing radiation. And in physics, the term radiation is more general and more broad than that. It basically refers to a form of energy that is traveling and spreading out as it goes. So it's radiating energy. And that energy, because it's moving and it's, and it's spreading as it's moving, it has both an electric field and a magnetic field. And that's where the term electromagnetic field comes from. So what And electromagnetic radiation is, is it's an electromagnetic field that is moving through space. When it moves through space, it has wave-like properties. So it can also be called an electromagnetic wave. So the term electromagnetic wave and electromagnetic radiation are interchangeable. Electromagnetic fields don't all move. So you can have what are called static electric fields, static magnetic fields. So those are examples of what would be an electromagnetic field that is not electromagnetic radiation, but most of what we're exposed to in a day-to-day experience falls under this like broader umbrella of electromagnetic radiation. And again, it's it's a really general term, right? It's uh, there's whole all kinds of different energy levels of this electromagnetic radiation, not just this really high energy ionizing radiation that we might use in cancer treatment, but also really low energy electromagnetic radi- radiation like radio waves or like light. Light is part of the electromagnetic spectrum. And what is different between something scary like gamma rays or x-rays versus something like light which is how we how our eyes perceive the world is the difference between those things is basically just the wavelength and the frequency of that light so we can describe light as either a photon moving or as a wave of energy that's called wave particle duality in physics and it's very very cool and also definitely the next level part of this conversation that we're not going to cover today. But when we're describing an electromagnetic field or electromagnetic radiation, we're describing these two main properties. And wavelength and frequency are mathematically related to each other. So um, the speed of a wave, so when we're talking about a light wave, that's the speed of light, is equal to the wavelength multiplied by the frequency, So that means that wavelength and frequency are inversely related to each other. So a really long wavelength means a really low frequency, and a really short wavelength means a really high frequency. And then mathematically, both of these are also related to energy. So the energy is directly proportional to the frequency, So the formula is energy equals Planck's constant times frequency. Planck's constant just for the nerds out there. Stacey, you're going to be impressed because this is not in the notes. It's 6.626 times 10 to the minus 34 joule seconds. That has stuck in my head for like 20 years. I can't remember what I ate three days ago. (laughs) I was preparing this and I was like, hang on. I think I remember what Planck's constant is. It's like Avogadro's number. Once you know it, it's just in there forever. So, um, so, but that means though, it doesn't matter what the constant is. It means that energy is directly proportional to frequency. So these sh- very short wavelengths of light have very high frequencies, and that means they also have high energy. And it's that high energy that can ionize, that can bump that electron out of the out of the Orbit of the atom creating an ion and then destabilizing more complex molecules, causing damage to molecular bonds. That's how we're getting DNA damage, cellular damage, and tissue damage. So we can actually think of light as, um, as its characteristics being determined by the wavelength. And that's because of these two relationships, right? So, speed of light, when you're talking about light, speed of Ocean wave, when you're talking about ocean wave, equals, you know, wavelength times frequency and energy is equal to Planck's constant times frequency. You can, of course, also express energy as an inverse relationship to to wavelength through those just very simple algebra with those two formulas. But the basic, really important thing is what this means is very short wavelengths of light have lots and lots of energy because it's directly proportional to the frequency or inversely proportional to the wavelength. And long wavelengths of light have very small frequencies, therefore it has very low energy. And what we find is that there's basically a threshold where above which the wavelengths are small enough and the energy is high enough that that radiation can be ionizing. So it can liberate these electrons and break molecular bonds. And below that threshold, electromagnetic radiation is non-ionizing, means it can't break uh, electrical bonds. It can't bump that electron off. And so when we go back to right, the thought of nuclear bombs, for example, they release uh, so much ionizing radiation, and that's both through electromagnetic radiation as well as particle radiation, specifically usually neutron radiation. They also release a lot of thermal radiation, which is also, uh, you know, part of the electromagnetic spectrum. And they also then spread radioactive material, which is what nuclear fallout is. So those are all examples, again, of ionizing radiation. But all of these longer wavelengths from ultraviolet, visible light, infrared, microwaves, radio waves— They're all non-ionizing because they just don't have enough energy to kick that electron out of orbit. So they all fall into this lower end of the electromagnetic spectrum of
0: non-ionizing radiation. I learned something new today. I think one of the things that might be helpful for me is when you're talking about the... um, magnetization spinning around it. I can't quite wrap my head around that. Like I'm looking at graphics that you've put in here and I'm still confused. Um, Can you, is there like an equivalent to that? Like how is it um, being propelled, like held into place and to what does it apply? Does that make sense? Uh, I think so. So I
1: think. I mean, how this... do I make
0: sense of something that doesn't make sense to me? I'm like, mm, mm-hmm. I'm gonna need more on that. So um, a- electromagnetism
1: is a united force of nature. So gravity is a force of nature. There's something called the weak force. There's something called the strong force. And there's something called the electromagnetic force. And what this basically refers to is how Charged particles holds themselves together. Um, and so what the because electricity and magnetism are basically part of the same force, that means that we can describe a particle moving through space both electrically and magnetically. So when you have an electrical charge that's just sitting there, it just has an electric field. But as soon as it starts to move, it will also have a magnetic field and that is again just because this is all one force. So um, you know if if you had a united force with gravity then we'd also say oh and then there's also a gravity dimension to this. So you can think of it as like the x and y axis, right? Think of it as two different dimensions of the same thing. So when you have something a charged particle moving through space you have a magnetic w- uh, field as well. And then when your electromagnetic field changes, that's electromagnetic radiation. Does that help?
0: Yeah. I think it was e- even more like basic for me as when you were first talking about the force. First of all, I chuckled. You couldn't hear it because I was muted, but I was like, hee hee, the force. <laughs> um, <laughs> That's how you know you're a real geek. And you were talking about the particles themselves are charged and that's equivalent to gravity. Like that's helpful for me because when I think of a particle being charged, I think of like actively putting magnets towards and against each other and being like, well, there can't be like a magnet around each of these items. But if I think about it, like, well, no, there, there can be. I mean, I think that. But that's the magnet really cool isn't thing. of itself like the particle, right? right. It's, yes, exactly. Like that's kind of where my brain is. I'm like thinking about it surrounding a particle, and I'm like, no, it's the particle itself that is magnet. Just like yes. we don't see gravity, but gravity exists, right? So, so do you
1: remember doing those experiments in like middle school and high school where you'd have a magnet and a bunch of iron filings? And the iron filings would line themselves up in these cool patterns around different shaped magnets. Obviously. So cool and fun. So that is a static magnetic field that is created by that magnet. If I had a a proton instead of a magnet, you would still have those same types of lines of force around Mm -hmm. the proton. But now they are a static electric field. If I took that proton or even if I took that magnet and started moving it, now those force lines are changing with time and it's an electromagnetic field. See, look, you did come up with the visual for me. (laughs) There we go. (laughs) You know, I think it's really helpful as we get into the... I mean, really, the the thesis of this entire podcast episode, that non-ionizing radiation is totally cool and awesome, I think it's helpful to really talk about like the, the natural versus man-made sources of the different wavelengths of electromagnetic radiation. So we have where the energy can behave in different ways. Um, so we have these different categories. So these different ranges of of wavelength with visible light actually being like the narrowest like range of the electromagnetic spectrum compared to all of these other wavelengths or frequencies. They can be easily divided into either because wavelength and frequency are just the inverse of each other, basically. So at the highest energy side of the spectrum, the the really nasty, (laughs) like electromagnetic radiation that can cause badness to happen are gamma rays and x-rays. And we probably recognize the word x-rays because that is what an x-ray machine uses. It uses x-rays. That's why we don't want to have too many x-rays in a short period of time because it it causes, you know, it is exposing us to radiation. That's why x-ray techs where the, the they go into the back room. That's why you put a lead apron on, on certain parts of your body that are more sensitive to damage from x-rays when you're getting an x-ray uh, that, to protect those areas. And we know that like an x-ray once in a while is no big deal. It's definitely way below the threshold for, for causing any kind of health problems. But if you were bombarded with x-rays all the time, that would be an issue. Gamma rays are even more energetic than x-rays. And what's really fascinating is these are not actually easy to produce. They require an absolute ton of energy. So on Earth, uh, the only natural sources would be radioactive materials. And even for those to be problematic, they typically need to be enriched and you need to be very close to them in order for them to be harmless to in order for them to be harmful for human health, they have to be enriched and you have to be close to them. And natural sources elsewhere in the universe are things like stars and black holes and collapsing stars and, like, supernovae. Like, those, those are where we actually, where an astronomer would, like, use this type of radiation to to measure something. It's in these huge, huge, huge uh, stellar objects and these huge high-energy things out in space.
0: This podcast is sponsored by Audible, which Sarah and I both use all the time legit on my car ride home from school drop-off just this morning. (laughs) To keep
1: the new year positivity going, Audible has created a destination for complete well-being that delivers inspiration, encouragement, and actionable steps no matter what your goals are
0: at audible.com/wellbeing, Audible editors have curated a range of titles featuring experts in a wide range of self-care and self-development categories, from mastering your emotions and improving relationships to getting in shape and finding more success at home and work. Among the listens are brand new titles from
1: some of the most inspiring original voices in the genre, including best-selling self-help expert Mel Robbins the five-second rule and start here, who returns with a new podcast calls? Here's Exactly What to Do. Coach Pamela has created Mastering the Skill of Reinvention, which can help you turn the life you dream of into the life you live. Renowned music producer and performer Major, who offers Major Frequency, a revitalizing journey into the healing powers of music.
0: I saw Atlas of the Heart is on there and How to Win Friends and Influence People is on my wish list as well. Listening opens up a world of opportunities for discovering insights wherever you are. And these titles can give you the confidence and the motivation you need to build the life you deserve. That's audible.com slash wellbeing. I hadn't considered that X rays that I've been through quite a few with three suns um and black holes were like any way related um i'm guessing but one validation from you those rays aren't hitting us from space we're harnessing something in our natural environment that's creating that energy source so when we make it
1: on earth we are creating that with electricity, basically. The x rays and gamma rays that are produced in space are blocked by our atmosphere. So, our atmosphere is the amazing blanket of awesome that blocks out gamma rays, x rays, and actually, most UV doesn't get through our atmosphere either. Our atmosphere is amazing. Fun fact for people who like our
0: planet atmosphere is awesome. And the erosion of said atmospheres. Also contributing to climate crisis, if I understand it correctly, right? Because it's allowing more UV in, heating up the Earth, all that kind of stuff. Yeah, that's
1: why the the hole in the ozone layer, uh, way, way back, the OG hole in the ozone layer was such a uh, the OG <laughs> was such a big challenge, and and why um, the chemicals used in aerosols were completely changed. I mean that the hole in the ozone layer has healed itself. Um, but that's why protecting the ozone layer is so important is because that's where the majority of these high energy, um, wavelengths of light from the sun are being blocked from like overheating the earth. Um, and it's one of the reasons why like the atmosphere of Venus is mostly greenhouse gases. So Venus has like such a hot atmosphere by, because of a runaway greenhouse effect, because that atmosphere can't block out the sun. And instead it's like magnifying itself that like the very first probe that was sent to Venus, like melted in the atmosphere. Like, like astronomers had no idea that that was going to happen, but it literally was like hot enough to melt the the metal that the probe was made out of. So, um, that's why, uh, not putting greenhouse gases into the atmosphere, uh, at the rate that we currently are is also good because we want the atmosphere to continue to do its job of blocking, Greenhouse gases instead of, or blocking uh, radiation from the sun instead of creating this like blanketing effect that ends up driving increased global warming. So, yeah. So, UV, let's move on to UV. UV is the next highest level of energy. And, um the UV that we are exposed to from the sun is non-ionizing. So very, very, like the where the line is between non-ionizing and ionizing radiation is in the top end of the UV side of the spectrum. Um, so gamma rays and X-rays all ionizing most UV non-ionizing. the UV, a and UV b and UVC rays that we're exposed to here on the surface of planet Earth non-ionizing and then the next level of like slightly longer wavelengths which means slightly lower frequency which means slightly lower energy is visible light. So visible light is next and this is again the narrowest part of the spectrum um but this is what what all the colors are in here. Um the sun produces white light and if you use a prism you can break that up into the full colors of the radi- of the rainbow which is actually related to the frequency and or wavelength of light so every color occupies a narrow range of wavelengths so we can even think of these different wavelengths of light or of the electromagnetic spectrum rather as colors our eyes aren't able to see so you could think of uv as just a color that our eyes are not sensitive to and you could same think of infrared which is the next longer wavelength after visible light. You can think of that as a color that our eyes aren't able to see. And it's just these like really, really hot colors and gamma rays and x-rays that are ionizing. And all of these other colors, the ones our eyes can see and the ones our eyes can't, are non-ionizing radiation. So infrared is um, typically what we associate with heat. It's produced by hot bodies. And that's how night vision goggles work. They're actually looking in the infrared wavelengths. Also, fun fact, it's the wavelength used by the James Webb Telescope, which just reached its destination in the second Lagrangian point, which is very, very exciting for all space nerds.
0: (laughs) Of which you count yourself one. (laughs) Clearly, clearly. Um,
1: And then uh, slightly longer wavelengths again. So the longer the wavelength, the, the lower the energy, right? So longer wavelength again is microwave radiation. Uh, differentiate from the word microwave oven. So in this podcast, I'm going to always make sure to be clear if I'm talking about the microwave oven that we use to cook food versus microwave radiation, which is just these longer wavelengths of light. Um, And they are naturally produced, again, by like lots of different stellar bodies, stars, pulsars, which are uh, rotating neutron stars, active galactic nuclei, which are these like supermassive black holes that the center of galaxies, which actually my husband studies, which is very cool, although he studies them in X-ray wavelengths, not microwave wavelengths, but they do make a lot of microwaves. The cosmic microwave background, uh, again, the remnant of energy produced from the Big Bang, super, super cool. It's also, it's got microwave right in the name, but it's also in the microwave uh, wavelengths. And then longer wavelengths still Are radio waves. So these are the longest wavelengths that have a name. Um, Longer wavelengths than this, we just call extremely low frequency or low frequency wavelengths. Um, So radio waves are the longest wavelengths that have a name. Uh, They literally are anywhere between a few centimeters long to thousands of meters long. And these are what we use for radios, right? So they're generated by special electric circuits. Uh, detected by special right antennae, right? Basically, the metal aerials um, and natural sources. There's still natural sources in space, uh, so things like planets, stars, nebula, galaxies, pulsars, black holes. But also, lightning produces radio waves, which I think is pretty cool too.
0: I mean, science isn't helping people be less confused when they use the same term for multiple things, like. They've got they've got a communication issue. They need a, they need a marketing manager. You know, <laughs> I will I will volunteer. I'll raise my hand.
1: Uh, I would like to help science um, with its branding. Um, now I think what what is confusing is the fact that what so many of these terms mean in science speak is not the same as how we use them in regular everyday. And so, you know, we're talking about, this is the full spectrum of electromagnetic radiation and it includes everything from radio waves to even longer wavelengths, which can be, you know, a million meters long uh, all the way to, yeah, like I don't wanna be bombarded with gamma rays. That would not be a fun way to go. That sounds terrible um, and, and deadly. So I think, I think the fact that the word radiation has this really broad definition, it basically relates to the entire electromagnetic spectrum, but in colloquial terms, we think of radiation and we think of nuclear power plants and nuclear bombs and like nuclear medicine, uh, all of those words with the word nuclear in it. I I think that's where, you know, of course we're going to have communication difficulties, our, we haven't agreed on a on what our vocabulary means before we start talking, and so when we as we sort of go into like what is the effect of electromagnetic fields or electromagnetic radiation on health, that's why I wanted to start this conversation with like let's let's explain our vocabulary, let's explain what these words actually mean because I think it's so much easier to understand where the science is at now, if we can understand that what we're talking about when we talk about the electromagnetic fields that are in our environment is all in the non-ionizing wavelengths. Uh, So all lower energy even than visible light or infrared light. So everything that we're talking about is in the microwave wavelengths, radio frequency wavelengths, and low and extremely low frequency wavelengths, like so low they don't even qualify as radio frequency. They don't even have uh, their own special name because they're such crazy long wavelengths slash low energy wavelengths of light. That is where all of the electromagnetic fields that are produced from power lines, from uh, things that use electricity in your home, to uh, you know the scanners at the TSA, to our microwave ovens, to cell phones. All the way up to 5G, it's all in these really low energy wavelengths, far, far, far below the threshold for ionizing radiation.
0: This podcast is sponsored by Indeed. Indeed. (laughs) Okay, Plum Queen. (laughs) How about this? Indeed, is actually how I got my big career break in ye olden days back in 2000. 2000- Wow. I actually Googled and they started in November of 2004. They've grown so much since then. Now they have virtual interview options, so Indeed saves you time. You can message, schedule, and interview top talent seamlessly all in one place. More than 3 million businesses worldwide use Indeed to hire great talent fast.
1: As a virtual business, I love that Indeed makes it easy to connect with your applicants. No need to install anything extra. Indeed's virtual interviews work from your browser, saving you headaches.
0: Indeed is the hiring partner where you can attract, interview, and hire all in one place. And Indeed is the only job site where you're guaranteed to find quality applicants that meet your must-have requirements or else you don't pay.
1: Instead of spending hours on multiple job sites hoping to find candidates with the right skills, Indeed partners with you on every step of the hiring process find great talent through time-saving tools like indeed instant match assessments and virtual interviews
0: instant match sounds super cool actually as soon as you sponsor a post you get a short list of quality candidates with resumes on indeed that match your job description and you can invite them to apply right away um easy button Yes, please. (laughs) Plus, you only pay for quality applications that meet your must-have requirements. Start hiring right now with a $75
1: sponsored job credit to upgrade your job post at Indeed.com slash
0: WholeView. Offer valid through March 31st. Go to Indeed.com slash WholeView to claim your $75 credit before March 1st.
1: Indeed.com slash WholeView. Terms and conditions apply need to hire, you need Indeed.
0: Indeed. I think what's, you know, most interesting to me is you mentioned, um, not, you didn't say red light, but use the word that we use for red light. Um, infrared. Yes. Thank you. Yes. Um, so you mentioned that as You know, not being as much as that. And I think this is where we take something that has a little bit of truth to it and can expand upon it into things that might not represent what the science supports. But if we're talking about like the ability that, for example, infrared or red light might have to help our health, then is there something that is, quote unquote, undetectable that can harm our health? Yeah. So I think it's
1: really helpful to understand what ionizing radiation does in order to differentiate what non-ionizing radiation does. So ionizing radiation, as uh, as we've already talked about, right, it has this really high energy because it has really short wavelengths. It also includes particle radiation, like alpha and beta particles, which I you know, I've already explained as, as being another source of this type of ionizing radiation and the way that it harms human health is actually really interesting. So, um, what it does is it, when it exposes our cells to ionizing radiation, um, there's a couple of different types of molecules that can interact with it. So we are three quarters water approximately. So it can, Uh, ionize cellular water. And because we're such a large portion of us as water, that's a large part of the interactions between ionizing radiation and our cells if we're exposed. And when it does that, it breaks the water apart, um, creating uh, a hydroxyl radical, which is a reactive oxygen species that is well known to cause a lot of oxidative damage, as well as ionized water, which is also damaging. These then Produce like downstream, it basically starts this entire cascade of molecular reactions where we produce superoxide, another reactive oxygen species that causes a lot of oxidative damage, hydrogen peroxide, another reactive oxygen species. And then this ends up creating all of these like secondary, tertiary, quaternary products that damage our other molecules in our cells through oxidation. Uh, We can produce not only reactive oxygen species, but downstream we can produce what are called reactive nitrogen species, either just highly reactive molecules, either based on oxygen or based on nitrogen. And then that is what causes all of the different damage. But then the ionizing radiation can also directly modify our bigger molecules, right? Macromolecules, organic chemistry is right here, right? So, um, by directly ionizing some of these bigger, right, proteins, uh, DNA, lipid molecules, um, it can modify, uh, you know, some, somewhere between like 2000 different molecules into a variety of other things. And all of that damage accumulates and has the impact of basically, uh, well, impacting, cellular health. So you can actually have the, the cell membrane rupture and the cell can die, but it can also damage protein signaling networks, right? How cells communicate within each other, with each other, and then more broadly across the whole body. And then you also reduce, if not put a complete stop to cell division so that cell can no longer um, basically duplicate itself for healing. And that process depending on the energy of the ionizing radiation that we're exposed to can take anywhere from minutes to hours it can be really really fast And so we've got this you know great body of scientific literature now that really understands how harmful ionizing radiation is but non-ionizing radiation can't do any of that right it cannot create ions and that's where we can get into right not just, uh really you know levels of electromagnetic radiation that we're exposed to on a day-to-day life that have been shown to cause no harm whatsoever, but also things like therapeutic wavelengths of light, like we've talked about with red and near infrared light therapy, where we're not creating ions, but we are creating cellular energy through that process exactly because those wavelengths of light can inc- you know put bump an electron into a higher shell, into a, a more high, higher energy shell, and that energy can then be used by the cells thanks to very specific uh, structures called chromosphores. Inner mitochondria can be used to produce uh, adenosine triphosphate, the energy currency of all cells. So the cool thing about non-ionizing radiation is it doesn't just encompass 5G and cell phones and power lines and, and microwave ovens, But it even encompasses uh, wavelengths of light, like infrared, that we know can be beneficial to our health. And those beneficial wavelengths are infrared and visible. Again, all of this environmental radiation, using the non-scary vocabulary of radiation now that we all know that that's a very general term, are all even lower energy than that.
0: I'm slowly nodding my head recognizing that you're passing the mic so you can breathe and wondering how I can provide any input at all (laughs) like like the slow you know like the real slow slow nod nod. and then the side eye at the same time like "Mm mm-hmm yes
1: um I think that That to me means um, it's worthwhile continuing to emphasize that all of this boils down to energy, right? So really high energy wavelengths of light, right? Wavelengths of the electromagnetic spectrum, light that we can't necessarily see, but it's like light, right? It's just that our eyes aren't compatible with those wavelengths. Very high energy, gamma rays and x-rays, damage cells by creating all of this oxidative damage. And low wavelengths of light can either benefit us or not really interact with our biology much at all. And so I think it's helpful, actually, rather than kind of going through this study by study, dividing this into these different f- frequency wavelength ranges, right? So low and extremely low frequency. That's that's the type of electromagnetic radiation that power lines produce, Uh, that uh, household appliances, right? You plug in a lamp. Um, This is the type of, of electromagnetic radiation that is hanging out in our homes. It is incredibly low energy. Um, And studies have shown that there is like no, there's no substantial scientific evidence for an association between these extremely low frequency and low frequency wavelengths of light and any of the health outcomes that have been studied. So, uh, this has been looked at in childhood leukemia, uh, and you know, always more studies would be good, but so far the preponderance of evidence shows that there is no concern between these wavelengths and cancer, Um, no concern between these wavelengths and Parkinson's disease, multiple sclerosis, developmental effects, reproductive effects, cardiovascular disease. Um, There's still some studies that need to be looked at in more detail in Alzheimer's uh, and uh, a myotrophic lateral sclerosis because there's some inconclusive data out there. But at this point, there's no data showing harm and there's also no... Mechanistic data showing harm. Studies have even looked at uh, symptoms of of disease, sleep quality, cognitive function, and have shown no effect from these low um, low frequency and extremely low frequency wavelengths. And the the only exception to this is there are some studies that do require confirmation because there's conflicting data already. But some studies showing very, very high magnetic fields combined with carcinogen exposure, that that combination, and it's the type of high magnetic fields, way higher than you would get in most workplace, industrial, like even um, power line workers are not getting exposed to this much. It's like welders get exposed to this much. That's one of the only uh, workplace hazards that would be this high of a magnetic field, so a magnetic field at about uh, eight Teslas, which is an incredibly high magnetic field, this is more than you would get exposed to an MRI, that that combination of exposure to a carcinogen and a very high magnetic field, um, that that combination can produce some genotoxic effects. So it basically can magnify the effect of the carcinogen on its own. Again, With conflicting data, so other data shows that that's not the case. So it is a, you know, pin put stuck into the bulletin board of it would be great to have more research on this. And certainly studies have shown that exposure to high magnetic fields, like getting an MRI, for example, uh, can cause some vertigo and some nausea. It appears to be related to. Uh, an effect on the inner ear that is completely reversed once you leave that magnetic field and does not cause permanent damage. So all in all, what the evidence shows, and this has been studied for decades now, like it's, it's 40 years of studies looking at, at these effects. The, the net effect is that certainly for regular everyday exposure, there are no health concerns. For some types of really high levels of exposure in workplace, especially in the context of concurrent carcinogen exposure, there may be some concerns. So what this means is the type of uh, electromagnetic radiation that the vast majority of us are exposed to by just living in a house that uses electricity has been shown to be completely <laughs> harmless to human health. The only exception are people who have high, 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 high workplace exposure, like welders, concurrently with carcinogen exposure. And still, even with that, more studies are needed to really confirm an effect and understand that effect. But for most of us, these. You know, extremely low frequency and low frequency electromagnetic fields are harmless.
0: I like that conclusion.
1: Yes, electricity is fine. But that's I think really important to understand. Um, but also the next the next wavelength up those those radio frequency wavelengths, the microwave wavelengths that kind of blur together. Those wavelengths are also completely fine but also a little bit more interesting to talk to because I think um I think there's this confusion between like if a microwave can heat my food how is it okay that my 5g cell phone uses microwave wavelengths right
0: yes and also people who experience headaches um like, I don't doubt the validity that someone says that they're experiencing a headache. It's the contributing factor of, oh, and therefore it must be 5G. It could also be because those earbuds don't fit your ears and it's creating mm-hmm. an earache. It could be because the noise, like, incessantly in your ears is creating a headache. It could be because you're looking at a screen that's causing... um, Eye strain. Eye strain and different things. Right. Like there's a whole bunch of different things that can go into it. And so um, as someone who is interested in science, but not nearly (laughs) to the degree of which you have shared with us thus far, I think, you know, there is that sense of like, okay, well, it makes a little bit of sense. And this makes a little bit of sense. And therefore is my brain being microwaved.
1: (laughs) I mean, I... I completely, I laugh, but I also like completely understand how that with the, with again, the sort of confusing terminology, how that actually feels like a really logical step to take. So let's, let's talk about the, the basic physics and biophysics here. So microwaves have wavelengths between one millimeter and one meter, and radio, radio waves are basically like one meter to three kilometers. And remember, the longer the wavelength, the lower the frequency, and the lower the energy. So this uh, sort of radio and microwave radiation, again, using the broad term of radiation, is another type of non-ionizing radiation. It does have more energy than the extremely low frequency radiation that's produced by just plugging in a lamp. But it's still not as high energy as even infrared, which is like heat and visible light, which is what we what we see, what goes into our eyes. And what's cool is that these wavelengths are used for so many of our like handy daddy things that we use every day, right? So like mobile phones. Wi-Fi, 5G, radios, TVs, security devices, um, magnetic resonance imaging uses these wavelengths, wireless power transfer uses these wavelengths, and of course, microwave ovens also use these wavelengths. And so I think what's really interesting to understand is the concept of a thermal threshold. So it basically refers to the amount of power which is different than the amount of energy. So uh, let this; these wavelengths have a fixed amount of energy per wavelength, but then you can pile on a bunch of that, right? So now you're increasing the power. And what most of these applications, basically all of these applications other than microwave ovens, are not just low energy, but they're also low power. And I actually have some numbers to talk about in a bit. But I think it's helpful to understand That when you're exposed to a lot, right, higher power, like concentrating these wavelengths, the one effect that has been proven to happen in humans is uh, basically heat, right? So it's these types of wavelengths cause vibration of polar molecules and charged molecules, right? That's things like water. We have lots of molecules in our bodies that have electric charges, right? Electrolytes, for example. It causes them to vibrate. Again, not ionize, just adding some energy and causes them to vibrate, which then that causes friction and that causes heat. That happens to be how microwaves work. Um, But you can, when exposed to a lot of these types of radio and microwave wavelengths, you can have some heat production. What's cool is the human body is extremely good at accommodating a small increase of heat, right? You can go out on a hot summer's day and be just fine. And that's because the body can sweat, right? We thermoregulate. We've got lots of ways of making sure that uh, if you are heated up, you have a hot bath, right? Those are all much bigger effects than if you were just walking down the street past a, a cell phone tower, for example, but it's only the exposure of these wavelengths that are above the thermal threshold that are worrisome, and those are worrisome because of the heating effect. So they could cause burns, for example. So if you were hanging out by a microwave oven that was on and had its door off, because the door has shielding in it, um, that would be uh, that would be a bad thing. I definitely do not recommend using a microwave oven with a damaged door so that's that's a that's a for sure but if you're below the the thermal threshold there've been a huge amount of studies looking at these wavelengths and looking at all different kinds of health outcomes including headaches as you mentioned Stacy concentration difficulty sleep quality cognitive function cardiovascular effects cancer again and they've shown no observable correlation nor any mechanistic explanation. So these studies, you know, have shown that these these wavelengths don't impact human health. Um they don't affect sleep quality. um they they there's basically no measurable impact. And even the studies that looked at cell phones, which we talked about extensively, actually, in episode 296, exactly 200 episodes ago, so for a like deep dive into all of the specific studies that have looked at whether or not heavy cell phone use uh, basically causes glioblastoma or meningioma, these these brain tumors that there were early studies think- showing that maybe there was an effect. Those the actual big studies that have incorporated like a ton of data have shown no dose response no obvious correlation no link between phone usage and tumor rates and even though our you know cell phone usage has grown like from 1992 to 2008 we went from virtually zero people having cell phones to basically 100% of people having cell phones and there's been no increase in incidence of those brain tumors so the the data just keeps piling on that uh, cell phones do not cause brain tumors, and I think it's helpful to understand that the the difference. So, what the the G means generation, and it doesn't just refer to the the frequency um, and the which means wavelength of electromagnetic fields that are being used to transfer information. It also relates to the underlying technology the networks, the access systems, the bandwidth, there's a lot of other things that are going into the increase in what, like what we see, right, is the increase in data transfer speeds between the very first generation 2G, 3G, 4G, 5G. They're, they are using some higher, uh, higher frequencies, so some slightly higher energy, but the difference isn't, Really big. So 2G was the first. You know that was 1980 to 1999. That was the earliest cell phones that most of us had access to, and that uh, that used frequencies of 1.8 gigahertz. This is a really long wavelength. Uh, 3G went up to 2 gigahertz. Not a big difference. 4G went up to 8 gigahertz, and right now 5G goes up to 30 gigahertz. This is all solidly in the Sort of a uh, border between radio waves and microwaves, and um, and there, it's not that the wavelength of light being used to to pass on this data has has changed a whole a whole lot. It it is it is higher frequency, which does mean it's slightly higher energy, but it's still really low energy. Um, sort of absolutely speaking, it's still non-ionizing. And it's not just the electromagnetic fields that are being used for the communication that is the difference between, say, 4G and 5G. It's all the other technology that goes around that. And to just put 5G into context, the weakest visible light, the, 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 the dimmest, reddest light we can possibly see, is 17,000 times more energetic than the highest energy 5G uh, that is even postulated. So they're they're thinking about maybe going up to as high as 100 gigahertz. Visible light is still 17,000 times higher energy than that. Um, so this is this is really low energy, even though it's it is creeping higher. 5G versus say 2G, absolutely speaking, they're they're very low energy wavelengths of light that are being
0: used. Okay, so I know we have moved and popped around, but I did want to ask a question about microwaves. So you said, you know, don't microwave with the door open, which my microwaves don't even work if the door (laughs) isn't shut, probably for good reason. Um, But I think one of the concerns is what is that then doing to the nutrient quality of the food inside of it? Just kind of like you're talking about in terms of how it's affecting um, us from the low hertz of what we're using for 5G or whatever, right? Mm -hmm. But we know that being inside the microwave, not great. We're putting food inside the microwave, then we're putting food inside of our body. How is that not bad?
1: Okay, so let's start with stating that the frequency slash wavelength of light being used in microwave ovens overlaps exactly with cellular uh, data frequencies. So microwave ovens typically operate at 2.5 gigahertz. That's right in the like 3G bottom end of 4G range. Um, And what's different between cell data and a microwave oven, again, is the power. So we, we measure power in watts. And a typical microwave oven uses, say, 1,000 watts. There's some that are like eight or 900. There's some that are 11 or 1,200. 1,000 watts is kind of in the middle. Uh, your phone, when you're holding it next to your head, is transmitting about 200 milliwatts. So 2, 000, 200 thousandths of a watt as opposed to 1,000 watts. And, uh, if you were say walking past a cell tower, um, well, if you were actually hanging out on the antenna, you might be exposed to 250 milliwatts. So again, we're talking about one four thousandth of what is being used in a microwave oven, uh, down on the ground. It's like just a a tiny, like milliwatt uh if 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 that microwatts microwatt levels because um the energy of electromagnetic field falls off as as distance squared so as soon as you get farther away from it it's yeah it's a few microwatts it's it's nothing so the way an energy heats uh, the way a microwave oven heats food is by this dielectric effect heating polar molecules and ions uh, through vibration and yeah uh, it is the high power of the microwave that means it's above the thermal threshold. And what is very cool is that the door has well a microwaves do have safety features like the door has to be closed in order for it to work. but the door has you know how there's like that grid that you see through and the and the the window of the door to your, your microwave,
0: Stacey? Yeah. Yeah. So that's called a Faraday cage. Um, so it is a it's not just to capture particles of food and make me just,
1: it does that too. It does that too. Yeah. It's, it's dual purpose. It's, it's both, it's both to make you have to clean it. And also, um, the, that grid is about one millimeter spacing. And, uh, what's cool about Faraday cages is they're Basically, it's a mesh of metal, and as long as the distance between each piece of metal in that mesh is smaller than the wavelength of of, of the electromagnetic spectrum that's trying to pass through it, it will completely block it. So uh, this is like one of the coolest the coolest physical phenomena, I think, uh, as somebody who geeks out over electromagnetism, as I've clearly already demonstrated. So, uh, the microwave shielding is a Faraday cage. It's about one millimeter, but of course the wavelengths of, of light that microwave ovens are using light, not visible light, but electromagnetic spectrum light is about, Uh, about 10, 10 to 12 centimeters. So that's how you can still see in the door, but the microwaves can't get out. So through heating, there's all these like urban legends out there that because you're nuking foods, that's a very unfortunate terminology, because it's microwave radiation, that this is destroying the nutrients, it's killing food, it's um you know causing toxic uh you know molecules to be produced and all, all of that's untrue studies have actually shown that microwaving can preserve nutrients better than other cooking methods this has been shown in vegetables it's been shown in meats um there's been studies that have shown that for example you get more B1 and B6 when you microwave pork and chicken compared to cooking in an oven. Um, studies have shown that even microwaving breast milk doesn't kill any of the bioactive compounds as long as it doesn't go above 140 degrees I was Fahrenheit. Say, even like the probiotic
0: type effect.
1: Yeah. So probiotics, depending on the organism, is a they're a little bit more sensitive. So some of them will start dying at about 100 five to 110 degrees Fahrenheit. Some of them are more robust, right? So bacillus, which we talk about all the time can survive up to about 160 degrees Fahrenheit. So you'll lose some of the probiotics above about 105 Fahrenheit, but your immunoglobulins, uh, are going to survive up to about 140. So, um, remember breast milk has hundreds of bioactive compounds in it, which is why it is so cool. Um, but even breast milk, like as it's, it's not related to the microwaving, it's related to the heating, right? So it's the temperature that is causing the loss of nutrients, not the way you got it to that temperature. So microwaving doesn't disrupt any nutrients in breast milk any more than just the act of heating. And that's just generally the case, except that with nutrients like vitamin C um, that we know are, are more heat unstable. Um, Studies have shown that actually microwaving can preserve some of these nutrients even better. And it's because we tend to use less water. So when you compare microwaving to boiling, typically microwaving has better nutrient retention. Uh, When you compare it to something like steaming, then they kind of end up around the around the same, um, or sometimes steaming will come up ahead depending on exactly what nutrient. But definitely, we're not losing a ton of nutrients when we microwave. Most of the time, we are preserving nutrients. The nutrients we do lose in microwaving are the same that are lost during any cooking process. So um, you know, nutrients tend not to like Uh, no, that's not true. Some nutrients are formed by heat. Some nutrients are lost by heat. Some nutrients really don't care about heat. Um, And in terms of microwaving, the benefit is it's a lower water method of cooking generally. So you don't have leaching of nutrients into cooking liquid like you have with some other cooking methods, which is why microwaving can come out ahead. It also comes out ahead because studies have shown that actually it reduces the production of like some of those um, carcinogens that we associate with barbecuing, right? Like heterocyclic amines and polycyclic aromatic hydrocarbons that are produced when you grill or nitrosamines, which are like in bacon or other cured meats. So studies have even shown that if you microwave cook bacon, it has lower nitrosamine carcinogens than Uh, cooking bacon in a frying pan. Studies have even shown that if you microwave your meat first and then fry it or grill it, it will have fewer heterocyclic amines and polycyclic aromatic hydrocarbons. So, uh, even, even though you're still browning it, uh, which is also really cool. So, um, no, there's microwaving actually can reduce toxic products that are Sometimes produced by cooking, especially frying and grilling. And uh, yes, can we just
0: have a moment for the fact that you repetitively use the scientific words instead of what we colloquially refer to as the flavor here at our (laughs) house—the black char stuff.
1: (laughs) Yeah. Oh, the yummy part. Also, let's let's also put that into context that. Um, Studies have shown that when you consume your grilled meats with vegetables, especially vegetables of the cruciferous family, that the vegetables negate any potential harm from those nasty chemicals. So even how harmful those carcinogens are that we can form from the flavor, from from the grilling it's still context dependent right so if we're we're having a you know a good salad or some good side vegetable with our barbecued steak again you know we're we're negating any potential harm by eating all those vegetables so there's there's always context
0: even when we talk
1: about co-
0: compounds like this it is interesting like when i eat a steak i always want like spinach or a salad or something with it i think if you listen to your body it will tell you what you need um if if you're able to not hyper palatable foods and you know all of the different food intolerances and uh different things that might be overriding us. yes yeah. but overriding I think, the signals i think if you can get there it'll tell you what you need which is pretty cool um so what i'm hearing is that you like science yes love science it's my favorite thing you're not afraid of microwaves not a not not at all you're not except for if the door's broken okay yeah but then it doesn't work so it doesn't matter (laughs) true you use your cell phone Though we talked though we talked last last week not at night but not because of radiation but because of boundaries yes um what about like Wi-Fi in your home? EMF in general?
1: Yeah, so Wi-Fi is still in these very like low like radio frequency wavelengths. Again, has not been linked to any type of health issue. Um, these are super low energy. I also go through the millimeter scanners at TSA pre-pandemic back in the olden days when I traveled anywhere um those are also really low energy non-ionizing radiation they're not the same as an x-ray um so you know this is these all fall under the same umbrella of the reason why they don't cause harm to human health although there's a few like select situations where more studies are certainly needed but there's there's no plausible biophysical mechanism for an action of harm. Um, and that's because these are such low energy wavelengths. But I think it's also really helpful to know that these are regulated and monitored. So, for example, um, there's an amazing organization called the International Commission on Non-Ionizing Radiation Protection. Stop. That's not the name of
0: a commission.
1: I-C-N-I-R-P, In. Ich- you you can't even fit that in like
0: a two hundred and fifty ich- character box well, they, they just they just use their. they use their <laughs> they use their acronymp
1: ich- I don't they probably it's don't an say inside that. joke That's they probably say is. i c n i r p but it's an independent commission. Uh, it's not associated with any government or any industry. They develop and disseminate science-based advice on limiting exposure to non-ionizing radiation based on data. And they're a commission that includes experts from all different kinds of countries and all kinds of different relative uh, or relevant disciplines. So biologists, epidemiologists, uh, doctors, physicists, chemists. And they um, they have been central to... Uh, informing governments about the need for regulation for these types of wavelengths for quite a long time. So it's also, I think, really important to understand that this the industry is not just going, aha, now I'm going to use 30 gigahertz instead of two gigahertz, and that's going to be so great for cell phones, and I don't care about anything else. This is all thoroughly studied. There are thousands of studies looking at this non-ionizing radiation and how it might impact human health. There's thousands of animal studies and cell culture studies trying to understand this on the molecular um, and cellular biology level. Um, you know, this is this there's a huge body of scientific literature and a ton of professional scientists who dedicate their lives to understanding this. And and, you know, it's it's in uh, it's in human interest to be able to identify whether or not a new energy, uh, you know, in the a new wavelength in the electromagnetic spectrum might be harmful. it's It's in science's interest to identify that before the technology is invented that causes harm. So that's why there's, there's more than one, but there's, there's lots of different sort of independent commissions like this. The international commission on non-ionizing radiation protection is a particularly like powerful voice in this area. And so, you know, the, the summary of all of this is all of our technology right now is using incredibly low energy, uh, electromagnetic fields for how they work or they they happen to produce right plug in your light it does happen to produce an incredibly low energy electromagnetic field um when you plug in a light it's producing an electromagnetic field with a wavelength of like a million meters like a thousand kilometers like that's it's very very long it's not capable of interacting with the molecules in your body at that kind of wavelengths. So I think it's just really helpful to understand this this core piece of physics and how physics can interact with biology, which is the longer the wavelength, the lower the energy. All of these technologies produce very long wavelength, very low energy electromagnetic fields. Uh, that do radiate, so it is electromagnetic radiation. But because it's so low energy, it cannot ionize molecules in our body, so it cannot harm our DNA, our cells. Um, and there's no compelling science. Again, with a couple of little spots here and there where we want to understand, you know. If you are exposed to the type of magnetic fields that welders are exposed to, and you're exposed to carcinogens, we want to understand that better. But for the general population, there's no science showing, there's no even epidemiology that can show that this is causing any kind of harm, um, let alone mechanistic studies that, that might point that way either.
0: I like it when you tell us that we don't need to change things we're already doing. I'm a big fan.
1: Especially when it's all the stuff that makes life like convenient and awesome.
0: Mm-hmm. And I do want to reiterate that we are not big fans of cherry picking data. And I do appreciate where you pointed out where more things are needed or, you know, don't do it that way. Because I think that there's a lot of information out there where people are. It's easier to address if it's just like yes or no versus, well, it's complicated. And I love it when you entrust our listeners with knowledge and want to empower them to make their own choices. I would say, you know, if something makes you feel better, obviously it's your life to do what makes you feel best. I personally think that not having your phone next to you when you sleep is good for reasons beyond just, potential radiation. Like for me, I'm like, let me just not be distracted by this phone while I'm sleeping. Let me not let someone, you know, interrupt my sleep. But we want you to take information that Sarah has been learning for many, many years, although she's only 29. She's been researching this information (laughs) longer than that. Um, And to make informed decisions about, you know, what is best for you and I, I I just I'm a big I'm a big fan of information and learning and and science even though admittedly maybe some of this just just a little bit is over my head or too much for me but I like the summary <laughs> the summary so results it are my was fan
1: a, it was a good choice to not bring
0: in calculus is what you're saying I mean you did like rattle off some number that I didn't even know what it meant and I'm still back at like well I know pi is 3.14 <laughs>
1: 1590
0: no no stop <laughs>
1: 26
0: wait 1 three point
1: one four one five nine two six zero. yeah oh, yeah that's all right
0: okay now now that everybody's turned off the show um maybe <laughs> we should thank them for listening <laughs> uh, ideally we would
1: have thanked you before you turned off but if you're still with us Thank you for listening. As always, we are going to continue this conversation over on our Patreon, and we hope that you join us there. And whether you do or not, thanks for listening, and we'll be back next week. We love providing the Whole View podcast for you as a free resource. You can support the show by using the links and codes we share in our podcast. And we love to read your
0: reviews and chats wherever you listen. And don't forget to share our podcast with your friends and family. Speaking of chat, did you know that you can get exclusive behind-the-scenes content on Patreon? When you support us with your Patreon membership, you get access to live Q&As and weekly bonus audio. But they're not for kids' ears because our bonus content is explicit. You can also stay in touch with us via our social media channels. I'm at real everything blog. And I'm at the Paleo Mom. And we've got more great resources on
1: our websites and in our newsletters.